what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Pat, how's our old mate Jace going? I hear he's doing fantastic. In fact, he just keeps selling so much dog gear to our loyal listeners at such remarkable prices. What's he got? He's got... Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Oh, he's got everything. Balls, yep. tugs, leashes. I don't think balls and tugs should be said in the same sentence. Well, we just did. Okay. Uh, mills. That's what Jason's pumping out like hot little the potatoes. The fire mills. Fire poor, HF, HF mills. HF mills, yeah. Yep, he's got them all. Yep. Um, and we've done sleds. that mills episode yep. on Patreon, so yep. a lot of people are learning about how to use the mill. Yep, and getting them from Jason. Getting he them from Jason. sleds now. Sleds and yep. parachutes, I said. Parachutes. That you tested with Remy. Tested the parachute, yep. Yep. I can confirm it inflates. I know he still doesn't have a website. I know he does not. <laughs> so if you'd like to buy something from Jason, could be a Herm Springer item. Yeah. Uh, you could get that from Jason, but you have to do it through Facebook. And in order to do that, you have to head to Einswick Dog Quip, which is, how do you spell that? E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K, Einswick. Einswick Dog Quip. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Glenn Cook, and joined in studio is my regular co-host, Pat Stewart. Hello. Hi. How you going? Good. How are you? I'm all right. Just all right? Yep. Just all right? Yeah, I'm okay. Okay. That's good. <gasps> we should tell them about the Pat Nolan thing. Yeah, we should. So, something horrible has happened. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't kill Pat Nolan. No. No, we nothing, had a, nothing We had a lovely horrible. time with Pat Nolan. We did. We, and Connie. Yeah, Pat and Connie. We... um. We just happened across them, organised an interview with them on Australia Day, went into their hotel. Had I've, got to, a, oh, I've got to go back to the start and tell the, like, the interesting story about how it all happened. Oh, well, Glenn messaged Pat asking, hey, can we link up a time to have a chat sometime and gave him the time zone we were in to try and organise it. And he goes, well, it's funny you say that because I'm actually in that time zone right now. He <laughs> was actually in Sydney. I'm on holiday in Australia. So we were like, oh, great. So got all our gear together, zoomed in and saw him. Were there for three hours or something. Mm. Had this amazing chat with Pat and his wife Connie, who are both, you know, amazing Phenomenal trainers. Legends. Um, and then it didn't record. Well, the file was corrupted. We thought it did it record. It just did the file, yeah, upon saving it. I mean, I've heard about these horror stories in other podcasting groups where people have lost entire shows and I've sort of scoffed and thought, ha, that hasn't happened to us. And on a really I mean, all the podcasts are important, but just on one that we made a lot of effort to make happen, like tra- packed up the whole studio gear, traveled out there, yeah, fitted, retrofitted it in the hotel room, sat with them. They made time for us late at night, had a great interview with them, a really good introduction, sat down and, and really got their origin stories, saved the file, came home, went to edit it, and it would not open and is fully corrupted and it can't be saved. Yeah. So tried everything, got on the forum, spoken to people, Pat and I pulling, well, I haven't got any hair to pull out, but Pat's pulling his hair out. He's trying to match it's, my look. It's a bit devastating because it was a really, really good chat. I guess we have the experience of having had that chat. We, we do. 
but it was it's just a bummer that we can't put it can't out there. Can't share it. I feel bad mm-hmm. about taking up you know a fair amount of their time as well yeah. for no output. But uh, I guess we'll organise to get him on again via Skype. Well, we have. We've spoken to him. We've yeah. let him know what happened. And Pat's a consummate gentleman, so. He was disappointed for us that we lost our material and has agreed to come back on the show. So yeah. it's just a bit devastating. It is. It's truly devastating because it was a it was a genuine origin story straight from his mouth to our ears, and it was really fantastic yeah. to hear how involved he is in training. And well, look, to be honest, once we get him back on, we're going to recreate that the best we can, so you can hear yeah. what he's done in a very very long spanning career since 1975 that uh, he first broke waves in, in training dogs. And it really is, like I said, and Pat has mentioned as well, it's a very fascinating, long-lived story that's well and truly not over yet. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, uh, I guess we'll, we'll talk about it with him again. But I just, I'm worried about how contrived it might sound because we have to pretend that we, we're talking for the first time or, or we'll have to find a way to, to not To bring that. back that magic. Yeah, but if you haven't been following Pat, Everything that we do today as dog trainers, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of giants. All the things that we think are just common knowledge, someone had to invent that stuff. Yeah, it's been borrowed from somebody's hard work and diligence. Someone had to nut that out in the first place. And if you're doing any detection work, there's a very good chance that you... You're channeling Pat Nolan. Yeah. Mm. The person who taught you can taught someone, taught someone, taught someone, and it goes back to Pat Nolan. Actually, um, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I understand now why the file corrupted. Just too many Pats in the room. Too many Pats in yeah, the room. Yeah, we doubled down on Pats. <laughs> I'm not sure that. <laughs> too much Pat magic. I'm not sure that's a contributing factor. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, so that happened. So very, oh, we're devastated. Yeah, we are. We're devastated. We're just going to look into safeguarding He'll be me- back. measures that we don't have that happen in. in yeah, the- we're looking into maybe you Patreon folks are about to buy us a new mixing board, a new board that has a backup recorder built into it. Yeah, it has an SD card on deck so you can double down on your recording capability so you can record to card and also back it up on the PC as well. And yeah. that way we will make sure that we definitely don't, if we lose it one way, we won't lose it another way. So yeah, bring in some redundancy. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you, Patreon, for being able to supply us with the opportunity to do those type of things. Yeah. I know we thank you a lot, but we really do appreciate it because you guys are are crowdfunding uh, the canine paradigm. Yeah. And helping us to, as we said many times before, you're helping us to pick up advances, add things to the studio to help our jobs get better, being able to travel out to see people when we're doing mobile shows and so forth. Yeah. That is coming from your good graces. So, yeah, always big thanks. What are we talking about? Today's subject, since we're not doing the Pat Nolan interview, Mm. and Connie, I should say, Pat and Connie, since we haven't got that interview to put on air, what we want to talk about, and this was one we had in the pipelines anyway, is we're going to talk about a subject called the flow state of training. Mm -hmm. This is a topic that I saw on the Joe Rogan show discussed between a personal trainer called Faraz Sahabi, himself and Joe Rogan were talking about it. And it's a common thing that many trainers use in different styles of training. And people use it. It's a business-related thing. It's a business-related training style. A lot of people in martial arts, BJJ, etc., use it in their style. Dog trainers use it without actually knowing it, if they know what they're talking about and they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And fundamentally, what the flow state is... You've got a basically an L-shaped graph, and we're going to put this up on the website. So what we do is the ascending um, top to bottom uh, line, 
So, so goes axis. To, yes, the axis. That's a good point. So the axis, the top to bottom axis, which goes from ground to ceiling, we talk about task and difficulty in that. And then on the floor, the axis across the floor, okay, going from left to right, we've got skills. So you've got low to high on both. Mm-hmm. Then from there, we've got our what we call our flow state, which is an arrow. So it's a 45 degree axis, but then we've got the flow state. Basically, what happens in that flow state is this is where you're going to find that you're in the best training state when you're doing anything, you put yourself personally mm-hmm. or your dog. If you have anything outside, so on the bottom side of that, so mm-hmm. if it starts to angle down to the bottom, you get boredom, okay? Whereas if you start to go on the top side of that, so if you start breaching the flow state from the top side of it, you get anxiety and, and frustration, Yeah. okay? So the best way that I heard for us and, and Rogan talking about it, Joe Rogan talking about this principle is you know when you're in a flow state of anything that you're doing is when time seems to be linear. Like it seems like you've just lost track of time, but you haven't lost track of time. You're in your most productive state during that time, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like you're bored or like you're thinking to yourself, well, this is a waste of time. It seems like you get to the end of the session and think, wow, that happened really quickly. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's been journeys that I've been on for argument's sake, where I've had conversations with people or been listening to a musical track or something like that. And something that like, let's say for example, it's a two, three hour journey. And you get to the end of the journey and think, wow, that went really quickly. That's because your brain is in, basically what happens is your brain is in flow state at that point in time. Mm. It's because you're enjoying yourself. It's another way for saying you're in the moment. The important thing about this in the dog training aspect of things is this needs to be a symbiotic relationship between you and your dog. Okay, so it needs to be important for you. It needs to be mostly important for the dog. Okay, the dog needs to really be in that flow state in training to get the best or to intake the most uptake of training, okay, to be in the best state of mind. If the dog's not in this state of mind and the dog's not getting it, this is where we start breaching into this frustration role where the dog becomes anxious about training. And if we're not making sense to anything, it's like working with a young child. If you don't capture their interest, they start becoming bored and restless and frustrated about what's going on there as well. Mm. And I'm sure you know about that with your young fellow. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's a tricky one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What I guess the principal reality on it is when we're looking at things like, we talked about extinction training quite a lot, and this overlaps. I know we overlap a lot of concepts that we're talking about, but it's important to make sure that we are overlapping one principle on top of another because, Mm -hmm. again, talking about symbiosis, they have these relationships where they bond and are very relative and relatable to what we're doing in dog training formats. So let's say, for example, we have extinction bursts. The flow state is not dissimilar to what I call and what many people in the industry call the stress threshold. Mm -hmm. It's something that all species that are conscientious or conscious, I should say, Mm -hmm. okay? And that is, is when you start to do anything, okay? So when you start to think about things and you start to act on those thoughts, after a period of time, the work will start to increase the levels of stress that you're feeling. Stress is normal. Like we've Mm -hmm. talked about this on the show many times before as well. Stress is a normal precursor in life, okay? You have to experience stress. Uh, A little stress um, over long periods of time helps you be able to handle a lot more stress in productivity and things that you're doing in normal day-to-day life. However, 
if you incur too much stress, like everything, there is a bubble, there's a wall, okay? And the problem with that wall is when you go over the top of it, it's a fast descent down. So something that you can handle, something that you're okay with, something that your mind is quite comfortable with can soon become very uncomfortable to a point of that you just want to basically abort what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So your mind and body will basically shut down and say, no, I don't want any part of this anymore. This is too much stress, too much work, too much intensity at this point in time. Mm -hmm. And then you'll find that something that starts in a state of being appetitive will soon become something that is highly aversive. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's it's a case of you need an, an amount of success, right? And so if you – well, are you talking about it becoming too difficult, too complex a skill or, or task or just too much of, it can of be, something? Yeah, it can be anything. It can be – it can be either state. It's it's not about whether it's too intense or too much. It's about how you feel about yeah, it. Yeah. And that's, you know, like there's a lot of talk about, especially in this day and age, about how people feel about things. Mm. For example, let's talk about, just slightly off topic, but let's talk about the concept of assault. Okay. So the first time I ever learned properly what assault is, Assault actually begins in the mind of the other person. Mm -hmm. So if you feel that you've been assaulted by somebody, there's a good chance that you possibly have. Mm. Depends on what kind of snowflake you are, of course. Mm. But there's a lot of people who, especially when you're involved in any type of security, law enforcement, military or anything like that, when you're dealing with somebody, there becomes a stage where it might start as a conversation, but as soon as you start leaning in and pressuring that person, it's not a conversation anymore. It becomes a point of where you're probably starting to assault that person, mm -hmm. like it's starting to become escalation. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing in work-related fields is that you might feel a little pressure, okay? So the analogy I usually use with people when we're talking about work-related issues, for example, you might be at your desk and your boss comes in and puts several files on your desk and says, I need these done by the day. So you open the files, have a look through them and you think, yeah, that's easily achievable. I can knock them out by lunchtime. Mm -hmm. And then his PA comes in and doubles that up. And then you look at that and go, Fuck, I was hoping I wouldn't get like a full whack of day mm -hmm. work, but I can do that. I can knock this out today. And then the marketing director comes in and then they stack another bunch of files on there. And you think, there's no way I can get this out today. And then somebody else comes in and then they double up again. So all of a sudden you've gone from something that you knew you could easily smash out, mm. then something you knew that you could do by the end of the day to something that you know is not achievable to be done by the day. And then it escalates to a point where you're becoming highly anxious about the fact that you've been given a deadline priority that you know that you, you well and truly are incapable of achieving. Mm. Right there and then, that's where your stress threshold peaks. Okay, so you've gone over peak there. And at that point in time, that's where people just become frustrated. People might do a range of different things. They have, or Everyone handles it differently. All species handle it differently as well. Mm. So some people might rage. They might cry. They might get up and walk around. They might just sit there and stare blankly. They might start the work and try and get their way through it. So all people have a different way of doing it. And so do dogs. They have a very different approach to how they actually perform skills in those situations. Some dogs, you can see the levels of anxiety where they just have a shutdown in behavior. Some dogs might rebel against the owner. Then you get start getting like, forms of aggression starting to happen mm -hmm. okay because they're basically rebutting what you're doing they're saying oh well i don't want to i don't want any part of this mm. i don't like it and i don't want to be out of here so people have encountered 
forms of onset aggression over pushing their dog to but that again that's a it's a style of dog that might actually do that yeah so i wouldn't say that remy would do that i mean he might just shut down and say ha ha i'm not doing it and just go into another state of mind where he just goes to his own happy place and goes well i'm just gonna go chase birds go chase birds yeah yeah, yeah i guess Everybody, everything sort of reacts differently. You can think about, say, in your example of the, the too much filing. I think a lot of people put themselves into displacement behaviors at that point. You mm. know? I think that's something common that a lot of people can probably relate to themselves, especially say you get an email that's going to be hard to answer from a client or whatever. It's a lot easier to check Facebook than, than reply to that email. So you just sort of find a busy work somewhere yep. else. I think dogs do that all the time. A lot of people might not pick up on it. So, you know, if you're in your training and the the training is too difficult, too stressful, the dog might just start doing something else in order to, that's them checking Facebook instead of replying to the email. Yeah, usually what we call that is a displacement state and a displacement state is identifiable, like you said, where they go into a different, like they start phasing out of the work and you might see that and often do where the dog will start sniffing the air or the ground suddenly. Yeah. Like it will be a random like they're trailing on something, but they're actually doing nothing. They're just trying to find a way to relieve the stress that they're feeling. Yeah. So they're kind of stuck in a bit of a in a rut at that point in time. Yeah. And these are things that, as trainers, we need to identify quickly because we need to realize when we've overcooked our chicken. Yeah. Well, sniffing is the big one that mm. the dog will do in that regard. You see this all the time, especially... I find myself explaining this quite a lot to clients who, say, might book me for an hour, right? And want to work their dog for an hour, which mm. is never good. I, you know, I always try to explain to people, hey, this is session is for you. Yep. You will improve in this session. We will explain concepts and you will get ideas. But actually, likely your dog will not benefit from this session because we're going to go too long. Things that we're doing here is, is too much. And I try and break it up and let the dog, you know, just do the sessions, but people want to do too much all the time. And if they've only got that opportunity to go through all these different things, I might accept at that point, I'd say, hey, okay, as long as you're aware, this is actually count, this, the behaviors are not going to improve here. You, mm. you can practice in front of me and get some repetitions for you and we can improve you, but this will not improve the dog. And when you do that in, in the session with the people, what you often find is a displacement sniffing. Yep. And people will be like, oh, he's really interested in what is over there. I'm like, he's not really that interested in what's over there. He's just he not wants interested. Out of in, this. Yeah, he's just yeah. not interested in being here. Yeah. And that's when I'm always trying to tell people, like, hey, we're done. Like, we shouldn't do any more. This is, and then it feels like you're reinforcing that sniffing, mm. but you are kind of showing the dog. If you get into that state, then yeah. everything stops. Yeah, it's an mm. opt out yep. sort of behavior, mm. which isn't necessarily that bad it's not it, it can be terrible but it can also be a way of sort of reading your dog and understanding that when you see your dog go into that say like he's opting out from the training session yep uh, it's an interesting one that i think as a lot of balanced trainers tend not to pay a lot of attention to a dog that chooses to opt out to the training session because i have the capacity to say well actually no you, you can't opt out and i can bring you back via pressure mm. but maybe in the work that's fine and you need to have done that in the training to be able to do it in the work but you really should identify those moments when they're coming along where okay we've gone over threshold and threshold just could be too many reps of the same thing it's not necessarily that it, it could be too many reps of it going well yeah. as well where the dog's just like hey, i'm bored of this this yeah. is i'm sick of this and therefore goes into that displacement behavior and being able to read that and go okay he's done that's not when good training is going to happen it's only 
the only bad train is going to happen from mm. there. And then at that point, if you have a non-reinforcing marker or if you have a signal that indicates to the dog the work is over, you might give that thinking that you're like, well, fuck you, like the, the session ends, but you're actually reinforcing the dog then because the session ends. And that's, that's what, what he, the dog that's wanted. That's what he wanted to yeah, happen. He wanted some way out of it. Yeah. Mm. So it's a really tricky thing to – it's a really tricky situation to find yourself in and there isn't a good way to finish it, I don't think. There isn't like there isn't a blanket where we can say – okay, well, if your dog goes into that displacement, you should stop. Or if your dog goes into that displacement, that's him opting out. Therefore, you so hey, you don't opt out. You're not the boss of me and you come back into the work. There isn't a right answer for that. Neither of those is correct all the time, mm. you know. Depends on where you're at with the dog, with the level of training, blah, 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 blah. There's a million different facets. The right thing to do is not get to that point. I'm going to go back to that in a second, but for people who – are having a little trouble and most people wouldn't but for people who have young children or have had young children before the similarity between the two of them is when ch- um, young children just go dead weight on the floor and refuse to do anything else mm. like they've just gone into a bit of a shutdown state where they're just thinking no nah, i'm not doing this anymore and they just go into a total conflicted state like i want to go there you want to go here we're not talking the same language here and they'll mm. just like go bang and i'll flop on the floor and just go into dead weight and they'll be non-cooperative during that state because they're basically they're in a stress state of mind as well mm. okay which is from frustration as well agree or disagree uh probably not i think that kids do a thing that looks more exactly like what dogs do. They'll play with a toy that they have in their hand and just pretend they can't hear you in the same sort of way. Mm. So you might find that with kids. You'd be like, hey, okay, come over here for dinner. And suddenly the bumblebee transformer is the most is the most amazing thing he's ever seen in his life. Yeah. Even though it was sitting next to him a second ago. It's the same way with people say, oh, my dog's really interested in what he's sniffing over there. Well, he could smell that when he arrived. It didn't suddenly just become more amazing, mm, that that's, scent. That's fair. That's fair. And I've so, seen kids do that where they're, they're kind of looking up at you at the same time while they're playing with it. Yeah. Like giving you a, like a slow upward look and then looking down at the item and which yeah. I'm doing to you now, but no one can see because we're on Yeah. So so show. that that definitely like, I, I think for sure, I, I, I observe that in, in my kid. Yeah, yeah. Is that when I'm like, hey, we've got to go do this, suddenly he's, he's displaced. If it's something that he doesn't want to do, he doesn't give any opposition because then there's an outcome for that. So he just pretends he can't hear me and gets engrossed in what he's doing, which is exactly <laughs> what your dog is doing when he starts sniffing the ground at a scent that's been there the whole time through your session up to that point. That's right. Like if, if, if the scent became novel, I would understand, then then we're having a different conversation. Like if another dog passed and pissed there. That's just and a competing motivator. That's, yeah, that's, that's a new a, thing. Yeah, that's but not that's if, not. Conflict. If in your session you suddenly find your dog is way more interested in the scent on the floor than that, I would argue, and I'm not always correct in this argument, but I think in general terms that that's a displacement behavior into that. It's not always like it's not always a behavior where the dog is totally engrossed in the scent either. Like they're looking up and looking around, yeah. and they sort of return to the scent, and you might see the dog actually go through stress-related behaviors like yawning and yeah. pinning its ears and so forth because the dog is is trying to work out how to shed the stress that it's actually feeling at the time yeah. like it's it's so stressed at that point in time that just it doesn't really know what to do with itself yeah and it's not a typical stress that people are used to seeing because people are used to like when you think of stress when we say that word people think of like fear type stress mm. right like cuz you it, you 
if you Google it, I'm sure that you come up like stressed dog. You're going to find that the photo is probably more of a fear response in the dog. Absolutely. Right? That's what, because that's what people atone it to. Mm. And if, if, especially if you're doing something that your dog enjoyed, he probably was having a great time for the first 10 minutes. And there it's been a decreasing amount of greatness over the last. Something, you know, we, we discussed with Pat, unfortunately is not available to talk about, but you know, when he was talking about the idea that something an animal will do of its own accord and is reinforcing can be used as a punishment if it's used at a frequency higher than the animal would choose to do. Yep. So a rat running on a wheel, if he chooses to do that and he likes doing it, if you make him do it, that mm. can still be a punishment by making him doing it more than he wants to do it himself. So it's the same in your training. A lot of people don't understand how hard you can stress your dog just by doing too much training. And especially if you're working, working. I mean, it seems to be the, the common theme of so much. We talk about that at the moment is that working to peak performance. Once you go over the top of that mm. – the dog's like, well, I can't do it any better, and that's that's where the stress threshold comes into play with everything you're doing. Like it's all it's always appetitive up until a point, yeah. And the same thing, like you said before, with the rat on the wheel or anything, even eating, okay, you can eat to a point where you're just thinking, oh, that was absolutely perfect, you know. And you used a great analogy the other day when we we're having mm. that conversation when you said people in restaurants know how to measure the right amount of food to keep you interested. Yeah. Okay. But if they gave you if they gave you what you wanted in it, then instead of you feeling like, oh man, I've got to come back here again, mm. then you would feel like, oh man, oh, this place serves too much. Like the food, like I love yeah. the food, but the, the well, intensity of it's too high. Exactly what I say. And I use this analogy all the time with clients. And I think about it myself with a dog is that when you go out to eat dessert, the person serving you dessert is an expert in that field and therefore they give you an amount that you're happy with. You're, mm. you're totally stoked that you had it, but at the end you think, fuck, I wish there was more. Yeah, you finish on a high. Yeah, mm. and if there was more, you wouldn't feel that way. And then what happens is that's the expert. He's a chef. He knows how to, he's, and he knows how to give you that feeling so that you want to come back to that restaurant. Yep. And that you can equate that to like a very good dog trainer who finishes the session in no, a way one where, more time. Yeah, who mm. finishes the session in a way where the dog goes like, oh, that was amazing. I'm glad it happened. I'm not left hanging, but I definitely want more. Mm. That's, that's where you want to finish every that's, session that's with the dog. That's good engagement. Yeah, whereas what happens with the non-professional or the person who's not paying attention to what they do is you end up like me where you're at home and you eat two liters of ice cream and you go, <laughs> fuck ice cream, but like, and you're crying as you're eating it and you're wondering why you're still doing it as you're shoveling it into your face. And then you go like, oh, I'm never having ice cream again. And for three days, you ne you don't want ice cream again. Mm. Uh, and that's what happens when people overdo it with their dogs. And the problem with all of this is you, there's this – there's this temptation to put a time to these things and, and we use the example of five minutes and that's what I use for myself, but I find that works for myself and my style of training. You know, you look at say Ivan Balabanov's training, he trains for 40 minutes an hour at a time, but he's doing so in a way where the dog stays motivated throughout. And he's built up to that as well. Yeah. And it's not to say like there's and, a and rule. And he's switching between behaviors yeah, and things that right. he's achieving. So, so I mean- But it's not to say that there's a rule where you say it's five minutes and you must stop. It depends on the dog, it depends on the person, depends on the way you're training, depends on your reinforcer, depends on all these different things. And what you're using as a reinforcer is really important as well. If you're using just engagement as a reinforcer, yep. like then that you can continue to use for a long time because the dog's going to want to stay with you. If you're using uh, food as a reinforcer, depending on the type and nature of the dog, you're going to satiate the dog. Some dogs can't be satiated, so you're never going to hit that issue. Your dog's going to work and work and work for the food. 
hopefully then he feels sick from having eaten too much food after the session long enough that he doesn't make the association to the mm. session. Same as play, like your dog, if you're doing really highly rambunctious play, you're going to you're going to wear out the dog and then learning can still happen if your dog is still interested in engaging, but the play won't be so as intense and that you then have to decide, well, is that part of my criteria? Like, am I, am I rewarding my dog really truly just to be rewarding him or am I rewarding him in a way to work on his grip? This is why I tend to, with people who do bite work, I tend to not recommend that they play too much tug with their dog yep. because their rewarding is disingenuous in the way that they are then reward the dog. It's not really a, a reward because they have an ulterior motive because I need the dog to bite the tug in a particular way in order to maintain his grip. Yeah, even the way they're developing the bite and the grip is... Yeah, so um, it, it's it's not a blanket rule. It's mm. not a blanket rule. I don't say it to everybody, but even myself, like I prefer, I prefer to reward with the ball yep. because I don't give a shit how you bite the ball. And we'll have the ball on the string. We're playing a tug game. Mm. It feels the same, but he's not going to make associations to that in the way that he would make it. He's not going to link the ball to the grip work on the man like he would grip uh, like he would a tug that I'm holding to to the bite suit because you know it's the same material so it's a similar action and so I, there's this level of I'm disingenuous when I'm playing with my dog with a tug because I need it to go a particular way and there he for he therefore may not find that extremely rewarding whereas with the ball I can grab it rattle his head chomp on it I don't give a shit because that's not bite work that's that's what he wants to do in order to reward himself with the ball mm. and I think that's important so I just wanted to put that caveat out there because a lot of what we're talking about and have been talking about is about short, intense sessions. Yep. But there's people who don't do short, intense sessions and no, get away with it. No, but this is where we segue back into flow state. Yeah. Okay. And flow state is, I mean, you can do a session as long as you need it to be, Yeah. provided that you don't breach outside those walls mm -hmm. of going too high and achieving anxiety and frustration yeah. or becoming too low and becoming bored in what you're actually doing. Mm. You found and this is where this is where mastery in a lot of training aspects comes from because you know how to maintain and achieve that result in your training schedules. Yeah. So someone who like you used Ivan as an example before, you know, you could say that in a lot of ways, Ivan has mastered his training program yeah, with yeah. a lot of his dogs. Like yeah. there's a lot of people, Bart, Michael, Ivan. Yeah. There's, and dozens of people who are just doing of, it at home and no that's one's right. Of. That's right. Yeah, exactly. There's people who are doing it on a day-to-day -day basis that are just, you know, training their own dogs for fun. However, they've achieved a status with their dog that they know how long to take the dog for because they're intimate in the knowledge of how long that can be processed for. Mm. There's something that I just want to rewind back to a conversation that you were having before where you're talking about, which is relatable to what we're discussing now. And that you said that when you're doing an hour training session with, with a client, that that hour is not about doing an hour with the dog. Mm. In the very early days, we used to call it walk and talk. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you spend a certain amount of time doing the work and a certain amount of time discussing the work. So I think that was, that's a, perfect statement that a lot of people especially younger trainers need to understand about is people feel guilty about not going around to people's houses and doing an hour of solid work of marching a dog around yeah. in the field you will do your client and their dog a great disservice if that's what you think a private lesson is all about yeah what you need to do is you need to it's like the old biblical saying Give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Teach him to fish and he eats for the rest of his life. Yeah. What your job is to do is to teach the client how to learn enough skills that they are comfortable 
taking on what you're showing them so they can start progressing to the next point. And you might need to go there between anywhere between two and 10 times in a private session, mm. okay? I know people have ethical issues about that as well. They want to say, oh, I don't want to rip the client off. If you're helping the client with the result and you and them have come to an agreement and you know and they know it is best for the dog, how could you possibly be ripping them off? Mm. I've had these discussions with young and initial trainers before where they've said, how many private lessons do you think I need? I said, how can I answer that? Yeah. I haven't even seen the dog that you're talking about. Yeah. You know, only until you do an assessment, you actually go around and look at the dog, will determine A, how long the dog needs to be trained for, B, how adapt the client is, and C, how many more lessons need to be achieved on top of that. Yeah. I've had clients before where I've shown them something and they're sailing with it immediately, you know, and I've said to them, maybe one more, let's see how we go, or just... Yeah. Call me on the issue. Yeah, that you know that that's one of the reasons why I have never sold packages. You know, I've been asked plenty of times before, oh, can I buy 10 and pay for nine or something like that? It's pretty common. People have that. Yep. I'm like, I've never, I've never allowed anyone to do it because I just kind of feel like, well, what if we only need six? Then you're paying for more. Then I'm mm. on the hook for that. But also, as we've discussed, as it's I custom. Like, it's, it's custom built. Yeah, but yeah. also- I like to tell people to get fucked. And if they've paid for 10 sessions and only done four, well, then I'm stuck doing another six. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, so that's one of the reasons I don't do it. But mostly is just because of that. Like when people say, I want to I, I want to buy 10 sessions, there's an inference then that the dog will be fixed in 10 sessions or that the problem will be, I shouldn't say the dog will be fixed. The reason that they're coming to training will be done in 10 sessions. There's that inference and it's never done. No mm. dog is ever finished training. He's learning every day. And so I don't like doing that. And exactly as you say, like that's not a, I, I don't know how long it's going to take. It depends on how much work you do when we're not training. It depends on how, how well you follow the instruction. Some people just like to uh, feel emotionally better because they handed over the money and don't actually do any of that stuff during the week. And that's their, their thing. So that's fine. But it means we're going to be training forever. You're never going to improve. Mm. Whereas other people, especially people who maybe have had to make some sacrifices in their life to buy this information from you, they're like, give it all to me. Talk, tell me everything you can. And they go and in, in, impart that knowledge as, as perfectly as they're able to. And then they don't need a second session. So why try and push a second session on them yeah. if they don't need it? If they're intelligent enough and they've, they don't have the money to waste, you know, everything is cost and value. Like if someone, you know, it costs what it costs, but the value of that to, it, to everybody is different. Mm. Uh, the cost is the same, but the value is very different. I'm a firm believer that everybody in business, everybody who's working and, and making a living out of, and whether you're not, it doesn't really matter, but when you are making a living out of training, for example, everyone's got to hustle. Mm. Everyone's got to put milk and bread on the table when you've got this as a job and you rely on it as an income. However, there's people who hustle in a good way, like we've just been talking about, like you actually work with your client yeah. and you don't try and con too many more sessions on them. And there's people who just keep making their client feel like they're never really getting anywhere unless they're coming around and doing one more session, yeah. one more session, one more session, one yeah, more session. Yeah, I know session. plenty of people that do that. I it, know heaps of people that do yeah. it. I mean, they always come with a badge of integrity and have very little of it. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very disappointing thing because it harms the industry. It's a tricky one as a – it's sort of a different conversation to where we started. but It is. It doesn't matter. No, it's um, just flowed in – it's a flow state into something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tricky one because there are a lot of people in this industry – I see it here in Australia with people we know very well. 
and now I'm starting to see it as as our network grows internationally, see it in different groups in different countries. There's people who sort of want to build an audience of their of their clients, like they need them to be. I need you to come twice a week. It's like or a whatever. church, like yeah. a worship. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's just a lot of the times it's not necessary. And then those are the people that are always you know espousing. There's no such thing as a one session fix because a lot of the time there is. Like mm. this is the thing. Like I I, I always say. I don't do a lot of behavior mod sort of stuff at the moment. Well, that's not true. I do a lot about in-home stuff. Mm. I'm not doing so much of it. But I, when I was, I would say to people, like they would say, how long is this going to take? They want to know over the phone before you get there. They want to know the thing. And I was like, I have no idea. I can't tell you at all. But I can tell you I'm going to come out and I'm going to be there as long as that takes. Like So when I do an in-home thing, this is why I've been trying to avoid doing it too much because I block out at least four hours of my day so that there is no need to leave. Yeah. Right. Because we're not, now we're certainly not going to work the dog for four hours, but I'm going to be there and we're going to be writing notes together and I'm going to give you as much as I'm going to give you the whole plan. And then what I used to do and still do, still do is where practical, I'll go back one time at no cost. So that's included in the first one. Right. So that, and what I say to people is if you're confused, call me a five minute phone call rather than, is better than six weeks of doing the wrong thing. Mm. And then when you think that you're stuck somewhere or you're not sure what to do, I'll come around again and just make sure you're on the right track. And that there's no charge for that. That's on the same, you've paid for that. So use it. Yep. Right. But a lot of people don't because I spend a lot of time using, like explaining this stuff yep. and they you can follow the, the steps. And this is not typically dealing with extreme dogs, but mm. even some of them have been very bad or like very problematic but you lay it out for people right here and it's like people aren't stupid and we're not expo- we're not espousing magic we're not magicians all this stuff is just behavioral science and if you if you equip your people with the the knowledge of wh- and where to get more knowledge this is where like we've spoken about many times is that if you're unwilling to to name your mentors or even just name the book where you got the thing, the relevant topic from, right? Yeah. Like the amount I watch, I make a lot of my clients watch Sapolsky's Dopamine Jackpot Study. Yeah. And I, I sit there and I explain like, and usually it has to do with uh, like it's with pet stuff. It usually has to do with how they're on a variable reinforcement schedule for a behavior they don't like and therefore are um, strengthening a behavior they don't want. Mm. I'll explain the process to them and we talk about it, but then- I'll send them the link so that like they can rewatch that again. And then if they're into it, and most of these people are, cause they've just paid a lot of money to have a guy come and talk to them about their dog. They then sort of follow up that research. And then that link leads to something else. And they follow these kind of things down the rabbit hole. And then I know these people that don't call me back. Like I, I with a lot of my clients, maybe half, I never hear from them a second time, yep. but I see them around. And mm. I know like I see the, the issue with the dog is, is not a problem anymore because they're out in public with the dog and I see the issue. And like, it's mostly in my local area that I'm sort of doing this stuff. And if there's any resurface, you're there. Yeah, exactly. And, but like I say, there's probably half and then there's plenty that do call and I have to go back and there's some people that are on it, you know, all the time. And then I have one client that I, I see every week and I just train the dog and mm. same thing. They pay me for an hour yep. and they are fully aware that me and the dog go and get coffee together and hang out. Like the training happens, but as they know, like I can't train this dog for an hour, but we do the, the, the little sessions. We keep it all tight, how you want the behaviors that I work on with the dog. Mm. And they are aware that this is this is just how dog training is. But like I say, like there's a lot of people and I'm always just curious. When people say, they look at my dog or they look at someone's dog and say, oh yeah, you need four sessions. This is how it's going to go. I'm always like, mm, 
I just feel like this is a template that you're applying and, and can you? Some people are, some people can. Like I'm not saying that everybody that says that is wrong or ripping people off, mm. but I just feel like a lot of people have the capacity. They, they just want to trickle out knowledge and they'll tell you that their the client isn't ready for all of that. Oh, you don't want to swamp them with too much knowledge. And it's like, well, if you've blocked out the four hours, some people, that's right. Some mm. people, 100%, that, that's true. But like I say, I had these clients uh, last week. It was a refer. It was a unbelievably small word. referral from someone from a friend of a friend, Ema actually from her puppy class, blah, blah, blah. I get there. The people were very intelligent people. And so we sat there and we discussed behavioral science for, and it was a puppy with separation anxiety issues, right? And I explained the whole process to them, how they got to that point, how to fix it. And it's really, they enjoyed it. And they've already sent me emails like, oh, we've been looking into this and this, and, and they want to do more things with their dog now. So they'll be a client, but probably doing training of cool stuff rather mm. than fixing issues. So anyway, that's my sort of rant about it. But I just feel like I don't even remember how we got to this point. But we're talking about... Well, we're talking about length of time in yeah. training. Like- well, and so this is so this is what I'm saying about you can only train the dog for a few minutes. I, I resisted doing Skype sessions over the... Like dog training can't be done over the phone. I've argued that for a long time. Especially and, aggression. Yeah, yeah. And people who... People would... Uh, since we started the podcast and we had listeners now in places I can't physically get to, people asked for a long time to do Skype sessions. I resisted it for so long. I hated the idea of doing it before the pressure over, overwhelmed me and I set up a system to do it. Uh, and I love it now because mm. it really is a much – I'm seeing really good results in people's dogs because typically what happens is people book a session, we talk through whatever they're going to do, we explain the whole thing, then they go out and do it and they send me a video of what they've done and then we can critique off of that and then we do another session and we can talk about that or if it's something simple, I just send them a text. Like I text back, say, hey, you know, do this, blah, blah, blah. And it means that the dog progresses heaps better rather than that face-to-face one hour where we're, we're, we spend, of the hour, we spend 55 minutes just talking anyway and the dog's just wandering around wondering what the fuck's going on. It's better that the dog's not even there and we do it over the phone and then they send the things. It, mm. For the type of training that I'm interested in doing at the moment, like you say, aggression, like that's probably not going to work. I've given plenty of generic advice on aggression, but certainly nothing that would, you know, for your dog, do this. I wouldn't do that over the phone. But yeah, so it's interesting how that's kind of panned out. Like I was totally against it. I thought this is so bad. And the pre- and and then there's the idea, of, you know what, what was the most annoying thing about the whole thing for me? It's the same as when we're trying to organize a podcast in somewhere where it's like, well, I'm in this time zone, so it'll be Wednesday for me and like you're trying to and find this time this, of night and yeah, it's just that, I'll be there in the morning and you'll have to be in there in the afternoon. Yeah, that yeah. back and forth mm. is a disaster. So now I've got a, a like a scheduling app that mm. you send people a link. It displays in their time zone. All my times are available. They see it as if I'm giving it in their time zone. It's great. I, remember, I recommend every dog trainer get that. It's called Acuity. It integrates with Stripe and Squarespace and all those. Things. It's super good. And cool. it's, yeah, it's definitely worth looking at. I think it's about 250 bucks a year or something like that. But you set your hours and people can see it. And then like, sounds like a bit of an ad for myself, but when you're on the website, on my website, you can't tell really that you're actually on the Acuity website. Like it integrates perfectly with Squarespace. And so you- um, Perfect. Yeah, it's great. You're And they can see your whole calendar, book times, pay- it's all done. It's all, it's really good. And I fought it for so long. I was like, no, that is not how dog training's done. But it turns out I'm getting really good results. And I've got a lot of clients now that are really happy doing it. Well, a lot of times in those applications, you're not 
dog training, your people training. Oh, well, that's like the thing, I you're think. Giving them, you're actively giving them tools to yeah. go away and experiment and see how they go with it. Yeah. Like I said, I, I just don't – I shouldn't say I don't because I did – there was somebody in Queensland who contacted me and asked me a few things about their dog and I gave them some tips and it worked. Mm-hmm. You know, But fortunately, I know that person is savvy in actual understanding dog training and behaviour. Mm. So the average person, I wouldn't do it. I just want, I can't do it because they'll end up going out there and getting bitten by their dog. Or yeah. Oh, doing- I should, I should say, I should give the caveat that I would guess, oh, at least probably 90% or more of the people I'm talking, might even be a hundred percent, are at the minimum, like dog training enthusiasts that I'm doing these phone calls with if not already professional dog trainers so they're switched on yeah yep. so we're, we're dealing in the like five the top sort of five ten percent of information yep, yep, it's yep. not it's not an average pet person that's mm. just got a problem with their dog i agree with that you need to be there because it's always a lifestyle thing and you need to be like what's happening here you know what i mean like these guys on the other day when i go to their house and the dog's jumping all over me and they're like what are you going to do about that i'm like i'm doing the right thing right now it's a 12-week-old puppy, I'm just going to let it jump on me and mm. then in a couple of minutes it's going to be tired and it's going to sit down and then I'm going to pat it. Like you can't give that – that's just a thing that happened and we dealt with there, that right there on the spot. You know what I mean? Like mm. you can't do that when you're over the phone. For example, I'm talking about the whole aggression aspect. I had two clients last week, one with a dog that ran away from me and one with a dog that ran at me with aggression. Mm. So you're still talking about a similar aspect mm. but two varying behaviours – that the clients had no idea what they're talking about. And had I not have seen that, yeah. and had I not have been in the room and witnessed the actual behaviour, I couldn't give them the advice and the uh, steps leading up to the the um, progression that they actually needed at the time. Mm. So if they show me over Skype, I might get an entirely different picture because yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm seeing what they want me to see yeah. rather than what I need to see from the dog. Yeah. So I don't need an interpretation at that point in time. What I need is, is um, live footage of the dog yeah. doing it in real life. Yeah, yeah. Anyway... There are many, many applications to reach people, and thank you know. I mean, thankfully, with technology, we have the ability to pass on information in relative time. Like mm. we can do it right there on the spot. That people can actually, we can send links and files to each other right there and then. It's not like twenty years ago where you couldn't do this sort of yeah, thing, that's and you right. had to talk over the phone, and you couldn't get a mental image of what was going on or what they were trying to show you, and yeah. trying to fax things backwards and forwards is yeah, just terrible. Yeah. So yeah, technology is certainly progressed us to the point where we can do a lot of um, fantastic things. So with your flow state, let's go back to that. Back to flow state, yeah. You, we've talked a lot about what happens when you're too high on the on that way in the axis of the flow state, right, where yep. there's too much stress and haven't considered what happens too much when you're in the lower state where, where there's not enough stress, there's not enough there's not enough failure in the in the outcomes that you're, you're working for where I think I can't remember what book I read it in, but it's about like that 80% zone is where you want. That's like that learning zone, that optimal learning zone where you're still making mistakes, yep. but you're getting the the action about 80% correct. And that's where you want to want to try and maintain. So when you get to a hundred percent correct, then you need to increase the criteria in some way, right? Whether it's the, you know, for, for dog training, whatever the criteria is, whether that's distance duration distractions mm. whichever one of those you're going to try and increase but you need to get to the point where there is some failure happening a little bit so that you can correct that failure and come back online look that's going to happen regardless however it's it's um i guess what i guess the principle of, of, around it is that you want to try and 
maintain the flow state as long and as possible as you can. Mm -hmm. What you want to look for is what is the duration that I actually need to do to avoid busting out of this. Mm -hmm. Like when you can start to see the dog edging away from it, uh, then that's where you need to call the session. Mm. You need to look at it and say, okay, well, it's probably time to finish here because uh, I'm going to start losing the dog any from any point onwards. This is where statements such as no more one more time marries into these processes because what people will do is they'll say, and it's again, it's like the ice cream analogy that you're using before. They were just saying, oh, well, maybe I'll just try one more bite and see how I feel after one more bite. No, no stop it. Yeah. I was showing you some videos I was doing with Ladybug the other day. And at the end of the session I did with her, she was jumping up on the table and trying to get to the treats that I was using because she was basically saying, you know, like I've still got stuff left in me. Yeah. However, if I give her what she wants, I could very well push her over the edge. Yeah. Okay. To the point where she's saying, ah, you know, look, I really didn't have one more in me. I just wanted more treats. Mm. So the point is, is if you do it on a regular basis, and what I'll do is I'll use an example of what you and I do with our training, mm-hmm. okay? I do a lot of little amounts of training with Randy. Mm-hmm. Like I'll take him out as soon as the – like it's summer now and it's hot as shit outside. But as soon as the night comes out, I'll just walk him out in the Oval and I'll start doing some training with him. And I know you do a lot – you like have a lot of scheduled events with Remy that you'll just take him out. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll go for walks down the street or when you've finished doing your clients or anything like that, you'll pull him out and start doing little bits and pieces. So for me – I'm constantly doing training. You're constantly doing training. We're constantly in a in a position where we're in a flow state with our dogs the entire time, doing constant little amounts with our dogs. For us, Zahabi uses this context when he's talking about his work in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Like he trains five or six times a week, okay? And he's talking about, you know, like he's rolling with people for one to two hours a time, five to six times a week. And he's saying there's other guys in the gym that come in there and they smash it out for like, two to three times a week and they'll train hard and they'll go like they'll go like Spartans for that time that they're in there. But he, he says, if I look at it from, if I do it like an analysis of how many times I trained and rolled throughout the year, he said, I've got double the amount of knowledge and workout that you've got. And yet I never had to push myself or smash myself into a state of being totally out of my zone or uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. Because I was, I was in flow state the whole time. I was working at a comfortable state, but I've achieved double the amount of what you've done mm. because I'm constantly working in what I want to do yeah. and I'm still in flow state. So it's that slow, steady increase. It's a slow, steady increase, but maintaining flow state the entire time with your dog. Mm. And I watch people online working with their dogs like a lot of people on instagram are constantly doing some really nice work with their dogs but they're not pushing too much they're just doing a little bit every day so there's a myriad of people that i mean we're following the same people they're following with us as well Mm. and i'm just seeing them just do a little pinch on monday and a little pinch on tuesday and a little pinch on wednesday but they're only just, and the rest of the time, they're just fucking around with the dogs, yeah. you know, going for walks, having a good time. And then they'll start doing a little pinch Thursday and a little pinch Friday and a little pinch Saturday. And the rest of the time is just mucking around with the dogs. Yeah. There's no instruction. There's no demand. There's no work involved in it. And the dog is constantly getting trained every single day. Okay. Without you thinking, shit, now I've got a, you know, like I've procrastinated so much during the week that I have to get out there and smash out training with a dog and then you make it a terrible session. So you've become out of flow state into a state of frustration and anxiety mm. with a dog where the dog is thinking, hey, 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 hang on. Well, well this, is, this is not going well. And you're not in a good state of mind to see it because you're rushed 
and your th- and a lot of people do this with trial. They leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it. Then they get right up to the end of it and then they want to smash it out with a dog where the yeah. dog hasn't been actually conditioned into the behavioral state of mind to think to itself, this is just my routine. This mm. is my daily routine. You know, going into trial is just routine basis. It's, it's easy. I know it. It's a lifestyle. And I guess that's the point where a lot of people miss it. And it's probably a very important point to add into the conversation is flow state is not just about achieving flow state. It's also about the lifestyle around it to make sure that you can maintain that on a regular basis. And then by the end, let's say, for example, months later or even a year later when you get to it, you realize I've done so much good work that my dog doesn't know any other way to behave other than the way that I'm teaching it to. And the attitude of the dog is still high and is it's upbeat about it. It's still looking forward to it. And me and the dog, it's just like time passed us by and yet I've got to the end of it and I've got an amazing dog because of it. Mm. And I'm a better handler trainer because of it as well. Mm. Yeah. Putting that into practicality is where people like I think I think everybody sort of gets that. Most people understand. But it's not hard. It. Yeah. They're making it hard because they're just not doing it. Yeah. So I, I've been asked a few times to talk about it on the show, mate. This now is probably as good a time as any. Like, what does training actually look like at the moment mm. with my own dogs? So, say, take Remy, for example, we're training for PSA level two. So, most mornings I, I'm up early, I take him straight out to the field where we train. This is my routine, good, bad, or otherwise, all right? When we get there, the car's shaking. He hears the handbrake goes on, he knows we're going to work, we're doing stuff. He's screaming and barking, and the car's shaking. I let him straight out. He goes and empties out straight away. And then he comes back to me and checks in, right? Like, hey, I'm ready to work. In that meantime, I'm just getting his reinforcer ready. He doesn't see that because he's out emptying out. Then we go out onto the field and we'll train and we'll train for like maximum of five minutes. And and realistically, it'll be probably three reinforcements is what are three to five reinforcements for him at the moment. Mm-hmm. And we'll do some healings because we're training for PSA level two obedience. We'll do some healings and recalls, some ch- changes of position, downing on the, on the recall, those kind of things. And he'll make mistakes and I address those mistakes as they happen. But I note to myself, okay, did he creep forward on the change of position or, you know, whatever I didn't like about the session I correct it at the time, but I don't try and put too much effort into it right there and then. I note it if I use if I can, if it's an appropriate uh, behavior, I'll use pressure at the time to fix it. But say, for example, he I do a stand from a down and he creeps, he runs forward out of it. There's not a really very good way to correct that at that time. Yep. So I just certainly don't reinforce you it. Just but ignore I, it and move on. Yeah, I go mm. on to the next behavior and I note, okay, that's what happened. So then we do like three to five reinforcements max, and that's like with some sort of very high value reinforcer, a game. And then we put on his, so then I tell him we're done. He runs around, does his own thing for a minute while I get the weight pull gear set up because he's got that uh, ACL tear. Usually then we'll go and we'll, we'll track around the field. Uh, he'll drag weight doing that. And then we take that off and then he goes and runs around and be his own dog, right? So we'll be together for, you know, 40 minutes of mm. that time, but five of them are training where we're, we're working in a high state of arousal. Then there's the weight pull section where he's in a, a medium sort of state of arousal because he likes to drag stuff, but I also am trying to control his body very precisely at that time. And then he's a little bit tired, so he just gets to run around and be a dog and we muck around together. So that's all fine. But then the really important part of my training is then that night. So in that morning, I addressed, I found out where there's a problem and there's always a problem. Something always goes wrong. Then at night, 
we address that issue. So his dinner at night, he earns through fixing and through careful measured repetitions of whatever we did in the morning. Yep. So for example, if in say the same example I use, say he creeps forward on his stand from the down. Okay. Well then that's what we're working on at night and I get the my marker boards back out and maybe my manners minder so that I can reinforce him with the food from behind him, you know, whatever, whatever I'm going to work on. I mean, that's the exact one I did yesterday. So that's why it's fresh in my head. Mm. Um, but we address that issue and we do like a bunch of reps, maybe five to 10 reps or whatever of that exact thing so that it's like component training and put yeah. that pieces together. And then I get him out this morning and there's no well, creeping see, forward on creating the down. creating a chain. Yeah. Mm. There's no creeping forward on the down. So mm. that's what an average one looks like. And I think that achieves the flow state very well because we, we always are going to make mistakes. Well, I'm pushing the training to the point where he makes mistakes and we're doing it in the what will be the end state of arousal, which is high as possible. That's how I want him for competition. I want him as aroused as he can possibly be for the competition, having to work through that state of arousal because he will be, like there'll be two decoys agitating him throughout. Mm. Work through that. Of course he makes mistakes. Of course in competition he's going to make mistakes. Of course those things are going to happen every time. I address the error at the time and I make it right at the time if I can, but I don't then stop my session and go back to component training. I just note it and then we do a different type of session at a different location and we go, okay, we fixed that problem. We we identified it and then the same day, but just, you know, eight hours later, we fixed that problem and or, or not fix it, we get repetitions of it looking how I want it to look. And that's, I think, the flow state explained pretty well, right? And then if you want to talk flow state, you can apply it to every component of what I'm doing in that training, say the weight pool, right? Flow state is a lifestyle. Yeah. That's the whole thing about it. Flow state is not just about training your dog. It's about how you felt in the moment in anything that you're doing. And it's like time warping to the end of it and thinking, shit, I've got there. Yeah. And I feel awesome. Yeah. Mm. So take the, the weight pool component of our training at the moment you know, probably, I know Jay's coming back later in the year. Um, we'll probably play some weight pool and GRC stuff. Like PSA is our game, but I, I like that. I want to support it and I, like I, I want to play in it as well. But the reason I'm doing the weight pool is because he's got a, a tear in his ACL. I'm like prehabbing basically, trying to avoid surgery. So the flow state is also like easily explained in that as well because if he's not carrying any weight and I make my dog walk next to me, he would be bored out of his brain. He would be like, why are we doing this? Why are we walking around a field in a loose leash walk? This is the dumbest thing. For him, that would be pure punishment. I couldn't yep. imagine anything worse to him. He would hate doing that. If I go too heavy, I'm going to fuck his ACL even worse. So it, I've got like a small amount of weight that he finds a little bit challenging to pull and he's happy to pull it. And we do we do loops for a week and then I put an extra plate on and then we keep going. So it's always that slow, steady increase mm. where it's a challenge to pull, but not so hard he's going to injure himself, but also not so low that he's like, hey, why are we bothering with this? That's the flow state. It is a flow state. You're right. So you attach that to everything. Yeah, every, everything. Every skill, every type of training. It's making sure that it's difficult enough to be challenging and worthwhile doing yep. not so much that it causes a problem and not so little that it's no, no longer a challenge and is therefore without the challenge it really is almost a punishment mm. uh, rather than reinforcing but then also maintaining the level and the amount that you're actually doing so you don't become frustrated and yeah. try and bash in too much work it's like creating the perfect cake, like a souffle. You need all the ingredients to make it rise and, and keep it there. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we using cake as an example? We used ice cream. Ice cream was our example. Cake is good. 
<laughs> That's what you're going to be quoted for. We need TCP shirts now. Just that. Make the cake, cake is good. Cake is good. Cook. <laughs> that sounds like something uh, Ralph would say from The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, cake yeah. is good. Yeah. So carry on. You're making the perfect yeah, cake. Yeah, you're making the perfect cake. So all the ingredients need to combine. I mean, if you miss one of those ingredients, that cake's not going to rise. Mm. Okay, you're not going to get it to the point where it needs to be. And it's the same thing that people need to do on their daily basis is that you, you just need to do enough not to be – not to get to the point where you're procrastinating and then worrying about having to smash it out. That's yeah. the big thing. And that's the, I mean, look, I know I talk a lot about the NDTF student movements in the podcast, but when I'm coaching the guys on just their own learning criteria, I always say to them, and this is learning from my own experience because I procrastinated badly in things before. And I've got to a, uh, I've got to a state of high stress where I've left things, left things, left things. And the common way of looking at it is I say, I've got, like 20 weeks to smash this out, this is going to be awesome. Mm. I've got so much time. I'll do it next week. Then I've got 19 weeks. I'm thinking 19 weeks, this is awesome. Then I've got 16 weeks because time flew by. And I've got 15 weeks and then I'm down to 12 weeks and then I'm down to 10 weeks and I'm thinking, yeah, 10 weeks is still easy. It's doable. You know, I can do this in 10 weeks. And before I know it, I've got five weeks. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, there's a bit of pressure here. And it seems like in my former way of doing things, and even now, I'm activated by pressure. Yeah. But not good pressure. It's pressure like the wall is closing in on me and I can feel it. It's like a restricting room where the, the walls start moving in on you thinking, you know, I've got time to look for an escape. You know, I can look for the latch and get out of here and so forth. Whereas maybe if you just walked out the door at the start, the walls wouldn't have started moving in on you. Yeah. But now you've got to that stage where I've got five weeks left. And then you're still even contemplating procrastinating during that time because you're thinking, well, other things are happening in life. And it's not that it's inachievable and you can't do it because if you're at the at the start of those 20 weeks, if you incrementally did the work, you'd be done well and truly by now. You'd be feeling comfortable. You'd be in a position where you could revise everything and you think, yeah, that's that was good. You know, I'm, I'm comfortable with what I'm doing. But then you use the excuse, well, life got in the way. Sometimes it does, but often you can find that 10 minutes that you could have done it in. Mm. There's plenty of people, and when we're using the the descriptor of, of, of clients when you're going and doing private lessons with them, a lot of times people will say to me, oh, time is difficult. And I said, let me walk through a day with you and tell me where you don't have 15 to 20 minutes. And often people, when they're doing it, like they're trying to hide the fact that they've got 15 to 20 minutes. Like they'll make 15 to 20 minutes sitting on the couch watching TV because that's important to them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, but I'm saying to them, how important is it to have a relationship with a dog in your home? Yeah. These are the these are principal points about not doing these type of, or not getting into these type of habits so you can achieve flow state, so you can have that lifestyle and you can have everything you wanted and more mm. because you're not making, you're not adjusting your life to a terrible point where it's become so laborious. What you're doing is you're developing a lifestyle where everything can fit in and you can slot things in nicely. Yeah. It's funny how um, we apply the examples that are relevant to us. Like I, in the dog training one, I agree with you. And, and you know, we've, we've been training for level two PSA stuff since we passed, I passed my PSA level one on a Sunday and I was training for level two on, on the Monday, right? Like, and it's a year away that test. Now it's what, four or five months or something. But you know what I used to do when I was at school? Like I was that kid that would do 
assignments on the bus on the way to school, right? Like or at, at the minimum, at the, the best. The day it was due to be handed in. Yeah, at the mm. best the night before, yep. I'd be up all night doing it and then doing it on the bus on the way to school. Same. Yeah, it was the and, same. And I would say, um, you know, I was a procrastinator. If you would ask me then, I would say, yeah, I'm a procrastinator and I would be described that way by many people and teachers and so forth. But I did pretty good at school, right? And so I would argue... And I know myself pretty well now from experiences I've had in the army. I, 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 there'd be precious few people that I'm, I'm under no illusions as to who I am in my brain, right? <laughs> and I just know I perform better under stress. The product that yeah. I produced on the bus on the way to school is a better product than I would have produced over the six weeks if I did the assignment 10 minutes every day. I know that to be true of myself. That is the case in various different people. And that's fine, but we're not talking about no, 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 no. That yeah. doesn't apply to dog training. That's and, right, and because you're talking about another species yeah. who doesn't who doesn't mirror what you can achieve yeah, yeah. personally. Yeah, and, and and I understand that, and I respect that because I know people who are. I mean, I I went to school with a guy called Shane, and he was constantly distracting everybody else, like constantly causing a ruckus. He was like a he was one of my mates, funny yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah. But Shane was always like, he was the guy that was always, you know, like pinching someone, getting them into trouble. Yeah. And he was mucking around in school. He would never do his work right on the day. Yet at the last minute, he would pull off an A+. Plus. Yeah, yeah. You know, he was just that kind of guy who could who could work in that pressure but love that that sort of linear lifestyle yeah. where he could be like that. He could be like that because he was that. Where other people had to swap for the exam, you know, like they had to spend plenty of time working and contemplating and studying and committing it to memory. Well, he just had one of those photographic memories. He was fortunate that he would just uptake knowledge very, very quickly. Yeah. But trying to work, trying to include another person in Yeah, that, that's where it falls over. That's where it falls over. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's what's happening with the dog. Yeah. Like you're, you're in that state of like it's not fair. Like I'm a crammer. I can do this at the last minute. I know I can pull it off. But it's not fair to the dog. It's not fair to try and pull that off on the dog, yeah. Cause yeah, or it, another person or a child or anything like that. You can't, you can't be comparative on the other species unless you can see that they share that understanding and that knowledge uptake as well. Yeah. Like if it's your child and you know my child learns at a, a massive rate and they're constantly nagging me and pushing me to do it, you know, and they have that ability to be able to muck around and then constantly pull it off at the end, what's the problem in that? Yeah. There's a fusion of the two, you know. Like I feel like, especially with dogs, if you get a, a puppy and you intend to do cool things with it, mm. teaching it to learn is more important than teaching it anything. So like having a, a skill in mind of like, I'm going to have, by the time this dog's five months old, I'm going to have sit down, stand perfect, right? Just making- Hang on, sorry. I wouldn't say it's more important than anything. Teaching it to be social and teaching it to be- Yeah, um, okay. Environmentally yeah. So, adapt. That's sure, the most sure. important thing. Yeah, yeah. I had to interject that because that is a very, very Yeah, for living thing. with the dog. Yeah. But I mean, teaching a dog that it controls its environment falls into the same bucket, that you are in control of the outcomes and this is how you learn and these are the cues that I give you and you should interpret them in a particular way. Mm. I feel like that is more important than actually teaching the dog a single behavior. took me a long time to understand this and that's why I sort of harp on it a lot when I give the Nipopo, when I'm teaching Nipopo to people is like, Nipopo is, the new Nipopo is a lot about shaping. Yeah. But it's, if the dog never understands what you want through shaping, it, that's fine because in the process of trying to teach the dog what you want through the shaping, you'll have created a dog who is ready to just be shown what to do. Mm. And so it's not so much about if the dog learns the behavior in the shaping, awesome. That's great. But if all you create is a tough, resilient, active dog who can receive pressure, well, I can teach that dog anything in minutes. Yep. Right. 
So it's the same as, and, and then you can, so if you take it easy at the start and you're in that flow state at the start, then it is not fairer, but it's certainly possible to cram at the end with the dog. Yep. So, you know, for example, the other, you weren't there when we first did the first guard with Remy in the, in, at the club, you could see it was a scenario we, I had shaped it, but onto me and it was the first time to do it onto another person. And we attached the lines to him so that it couldn't go wrong. Mm. And you could see him. Basically, you could see it tick over in his brain where he went, okay, I see what's happening here. This is, you're, you're putting pieces together for me. Show me what you want. And yep. it was as simple as like, he almost went limp in the body and via the lines, we dragged him into the position. And I was like, that's the position. You got it. Now buy it. And then he knew it after that. Mm. Cause it was, and it, it was. It uh, married up to what he, he. Yeah. Knew. So it was, but we, we did it very quick because yeah. he was in a position to learn. He had all the right tools mm. for, he, he, he read the situation and was like, you're teaching me something. Use the pressure to put me in the position that you want. Got it. Okay. Now I know what you want. Let's, let's carry on. And then he knows how to guard from there. Yep. Now, hopefully in a higher states of arousal, it all carries over. That, that's now where the training goes. But we were able to, in a very short period of time, show him something because he understood, oh, I'm learning something new. That all those gears fell into position. Yep. And then you could use positive and negative to push him into that position, which is cool if you can pull that off with your dog. Absolutely. Whew. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? Yeah. And we've, um, we're on good time. What I did want to do is before we wrap up is I just want to correct myself on the actual flow state right angle graph mm-hmm. is that the actual flow is a 45 degree angle, not a 90 degree angle. Yeah, the, yeah, so, the, yeah. The actual flow graph is a 90 degree um, yeah. angle itself. We'll post it. Yeah. We'll post it so people know what it looks like. But the flow, the actual flow cycle is 45 degrees. Mm-hmm. What I want to do before we wrap up too is probably have a shout out to a few people who've been instrumental in passing around some very good vibes about the canine paradigm yeah Um, hey before we do that i was before we get to wrapping up there's a good post actually in our group there's been some really cool discussions i'm really proud of a lot of people in the way that yeah i know there's been some heated talk but people who have you know let karma heads prevail and They've cooled it down again. They've brought it back. Well, to- they just sort of stayed, even though it's a, there's an emotional topic. You know, in the last episode, I spoke about live animal exports. And mm. that's a that's a topic that everybody feels dearly about. I think that if you looked at that footage of that was out of the base, those sheep dying. It made you sick. Yeah. It and you should, you should be horrified at yeah. that. But there was a really good discussion by people who were first outraged by it, but then some experts in the in the field, because we have experts listening to, you know, there, mm. there's people who are involved in that industry and know it perfectly. And then turns out we have a listener, I think Sasha is her name, that, you know, has degrees in, in animal welfare and that sort of thing. So, like, there was a really cool conversation where people were like, hey, this, blah, 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 and everybody comes out with more knowledge and happy at the end of it. So I'm really proud of everyone for that. Yeah, that was amazing. It was I was worried where that was going at the start. However, as you said, people have added their expertise to it and kept the conversation rational the whole way. Yeah. You know, and we're putting very salient points to it that I thought, yeah, that's like that's spun it in a, in a new direction. Yeah. And the good thing about that is, and we've talked about this before, and I think we will well and truly into the future, is that it's okay to have an opinion on something, but when the facts surrounding it start to come out, you have to be... Well, you can't afford to be so rigid that you can't change your mind, mm. you know, and that's one of the, the important things is you have to look at it from the perspective of what are the new facts or the new science or the new information around it. Uh, look, I've had to suck some eggs on training concepts before where people have brought new knowledge and new science out to it. And I've looked at it and thought, this overrides my 
current knowledge, mm. I have to adapt it into my understanding of where we are in training and behavior. And yeah. it's the same thing with any other topic. I've got opinions on things. However, there are people that know more about it than I do. I have to be flexible to change. Yeah. I think that's one of the most remarkable things about good, balanced human beings is that they look at things and say, yeah, look, I was, I was, I knew what I knew, but it's not right. Yeah. Okay. It's inaccurate to, to new findings, new studies, new science. And to, you know, to give credit to somebody else on that, I've heard Chad say that before where you'll say, we only know what we know in science because that's current science. Yeah. Well, and you know, you are not your ideas. Like you can, you're free to express them, but if someone challenges them like they're not it's not necessarily an assault on you no it's like this is just your idea might be might be right and be challenged and you can defend it or you might be challenged and realize oh i'm not that's not right and mm. it's, it doesn't diminish you as a person to change your mind you know you always reserve the right to change your mind this is you know when we first started doing the podcast that was my biggest concern was oh, i've changed my mind all the time about lots of stuff yeah. and people will be able to go back to the first episode. And and, so that's not what you said before. Yeah. But that's and, because we, and, and we only what knew what we knew then. Yeah. And you know what I'd say to those people? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm allowed to change my mind. Hey, speaking about that, there was a... About people fucking themselves. Yeah, pretty much. I saw a review that somebody left us online. Uh, I was going through some different formats and different reviews and I saw someone wrote us a review and they said they enjoyed the show but they severely dislike the amount of swearing that you and I do. And oh, that, really? that was off-putting to them, which I can understand for some people it is offensive and yeah. they don't like it. And mm-hmm. I get that and I appreciate that and I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way. But it was their last line that pissed me off. And in their last line, they said, I know everything I need to know about Pat and Glenn now. Oh, really? Yeah, that was the, that was the pinch at the end where they, like, they threw an insult out to us. And I thought to myself, you don't know Pat. Or I at you, all. You don't know how much I can bench. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows how much I can bench. <laughs> <laughs> you threw me off. <laughs> yeah, that comment, I understand that, like I said, I appreciate and I accept that some people don't like cussing or swearing or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Okay, I get it. Fair some enough. people have, uh, have approached us, but we have maintained from the start that the show may have some adult language. Let's not go through this again. We've we've done it today. Well, the reality is, is you don't know who we are. So making statements like that is obnoxious. You know, you made your point, then you, um, the sting on the end of it was just, was unfortunate, I guess. If if you're truly upset by the words people make with, by the the sounds people make with their face, your problem is not with the, the face making that sound. You have bigger things going on. Yeah, I think so. So, who are you giving shout-outs to? Oh, so uh, Megan uh, Terrio. Oh, yeah. She's out in uh, Maine as well, I believe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with our close personal friends, Amanda and Terry mm-hmm. from the Maine Dog Training Company. Yep. Uh, wanted to give them a shout-out because they're- Geez, they're getting a fair amount of airplay. Yeah, but they really- I mean, like, there's a lot of people. We're going to do a shout-out to people on a regular basis. I want to include. Yeah, I want to include that in the show. Okay. I think it's important to, you know- our Say community, some names. Our community believes in us, and it's nice for us to believe in them as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's a two-way thing. We're, we're here because of you. And I really appreciate there's quite a lot of people who show us a lot of love and they, they pass yeah. us around. I saw Jay Jack writing on um, someone's forum the other day that the Canine Paradigm is one of his favorite podcast shows. And, mm-hmm. you know, Jay's got his own podcast. I appreciate the fact that he went out of his way to say something like that. I really appreciate those kind words. 
Emma Murdoch from Canada. She's another one. Mm-hmm. We don't have to See, do them all today. This is a problem when you name one person. You don't have to do it all. Be like, oh, I didn't get named. We're going to do it as a regular feature on the show. <laughs> what if you? What if you're the most adamant listener and your name never comes out? Imagine how heartbroken you'd be. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for everybody. Yeah, I appreciate everybody. But I appreciate it in the in the group because we sort of had a whinge about like people asking us too many questions. But now you see people answer the questions. It goes around and other people get involved, and that that's great. I'm super happy with that. And again, it's one of those things I think we've maintained for quite some time is that we're not the bastions of all knowledge that's available no. in the world. And there's people in our groups that are well and truly expert level above what we actually know at that point in time. Mm. So if you are the founder of that knowledge or you are an expert in that field, by all means, feel free to help us answer that question. Mm. Even contact us if there's things that we've said on the show that are inaccurate and you feel that uh, it would be better explained in a different way, and as there has been people in the past, reach out to us, let us know. I don't want to constantly be putting out material that is inaccurate and wrong or outdated. If there's better information and it's scientifically, um, if it's scientifically fact-checked and you know that for a fact, by all means, feel free, contact Pat or I or mm. both of us. We've got info at thecanineparadigm.com. You can send us an email, which we both get. Mm. You can send it to us from our Facebook group. We both get and be able to read that as well. We often are checking over the same material. Mm. Um, sometimes Pat will reply to it only. Sometimes I will reply to it. Sometimes we'll both reply to it. Mm. But the fact is, is that even if one sees it and the other one doesn't, we'll both discuss it together anyway. Probably. Uh, um, <laughs> Probably. Hey, the other one before we do go. So uh, there is a discussion at the moment. Uh, Emma posted in the, the group about a puppy that's pooing in the crate. And so that's an interesting thing. Um I posted just a link to an article, but I can explain it here. It's a lot easier than typing it out. Is I think when a puppy poos in the crate, so like hopefully it's a clean dog, like we would say, and it's been like by its mother taught not to do that. We talk about dealing in hope. And so one of the things where I think we can fall over the edge of that a little bit is I want the puppy to think there's no hope in coming. Nothing you do can get me out of the crate, but there has to be kind of an emergency release button. And so... Like there is a certain cry. There's a different thing. You have to be able to interpret that in the dog and go like, okay, this is a real emergency. Like you need out. Yeah. Uh, this is not you being bratty. This is if it goes from, if the crying can be substantiated from out of level, levels out of 10 and they're crying at level three and they suddenly get to level nine, well, then we know something has happened, right? Yeah. And that is usually that he's busting to poo and he needs to come out. So you either need to be on top of letting them out often enough that they never get to that point. So you never have the issue. But if it does happen, you need to let them out because what happens and i think this is in the case of what she's talking about in this this post is once a dog realizes there is no hope of getting let out when i need to poo he doesn't even wait till he's busting anymore he just goes well i need a shit i'll just do a shit right here there's another spectrum on that as well where the dog learns that shitting in the crate makes the door open yeah exactly yeah Yeah, so that's a rewardable behavior that the dog learns as soon as i shit in the crate you'll let me straight out yeah and so because it's not, I mean, Emma knows what she's doing. She just posted about it, but it's not your dog. So I'm happy to say out loud, is this is a hard thing to come back from. Mm. It's really hard. Once a dog is, even once a dog is just, it becomes, a, you know, I'm using my quotation marks, a dirty dog, like that is happy to shit in its kennel <laughs> or in its crate. That is hard to come back from yep. because they just don't care anymore. Like, and it, they become gross little dirty 
pooey dogs. Um, so good luck. But he's dealing in hope. So he's realized that there's no hope of getting out. Or exactly as you say, it might be, oh, this is the behavior. There's that two spectrums. Yeah. There's no hope or there is, it's rewardable. Yeah. But either way, you're going to end up with a dog that doesn't even try to hang on to his poo. No, they just go in and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, well, I kind of need to. I'll just do it right here. It's like, you know, you know, when you are busting for a crap, it's like, as you as you close the bathroom door to the toilet, that's the most busting you can get because <laughs> yeah. it's like, well, this is it. It's happening now, right? Yep. You never get to that with the dog. It's like, oh, I need to poo a little bit, so I may as well do it because what's the difference, right? Yep. So it's, it's hard to come back from from that. And all I posted, it was a little bit cryptic, but it was because I was short on time. I was driving out here, was the study in rats where they drown them. Are you familiar with that one? No. Yeah, so like... A domesticated rat, well, not a domesticated rat, I don't know if there is such a thing, but a rat that's handled by people regularly, yep. you can put in a bucket of water and it'll it'll tread water for between like 60 and 80 hours, depending on the temperature of the water. Yep. But if you get a, a rat that hasn't had a lot of interaction with people and put him in the water, he'll drown in about 15 minutes. So then if you get another one of those rats that has had no interaction with people, put him in the water... When he starts to look like he's not doing so well, you get him out, dry him off, and then put him straight back in the water. He then can tread water for 60 to 80 hours. Yep. And so it's not the case of that they're so exhausted that they give up. It's that those rats that hadn't had interaction with people had no hope of being brought out. Yep. Right? They had no no hope. And once you give them hope, then they can hang on. They can, mm. they can tread water. So it's like it's, it relates to that little doggy in that that little dog's like, there's no hope of coming out, so I'll just drown. I'll just shit the, the crate. Yep. Because why bother? It's going to happen anyway, mm. right? It's the same as these rats. Are, even though he's capable of treading water for 60 to 80 hours, he's like, why tread water and then for 60 to 80 hours and die? I may as well just die now. It sounds very much like learned helplessness. No, it, it is learned help. It's exactly the same thing. Mm. But this is one of the experiments that they did. The other one was on a poor little doggy that didn't know how to jump a fence. But anyway, so that's that's kind of the case of it. you got to find a way to give that dog hope and be careful where you steal hope. You mm. have to – in some places we want no hope, but then – I kind of feel like sometimes you want that emergency, like the emergency release button. It's amazing how we've migrated into this conversation because I was actually reading a manuscript of A Prisoner of War and he mm. said the only thing that kept him going, even through starvation and torture and everything, was the hope of seeing his family again. Yeah. He said, if I had no one waiting for me at home, I would have died yeah. months or years Hope's, ago. Hope, I think. Is hope, the, yeah, is, he said hope was the candle in, in the wind, you know, yeah. like it just kept... It's the motivator. Yeah. It's, the, it's, it's why... Everybody does anything that has no guaranteed outcome. Yeah. Uh, it's Sapolsky's dopamine jackpot. Is, it is. is. Is all of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, that's my story. I just, it's easier than typing it into Facebook. And mm. It's important. Point. Yeah. Should we wrap it up? We should wrap it up. All right. That's it for another episode of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you're hearing, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Leave a comment saying that um, you know everything you need to know about us. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to jump onto Patreon. Three bucks a month gets you access to an educational episode once a month. We've got one of those coming out pretty soon. That's all recorded up and done. And then, uh, you know, a week to 10 days later, we'll have a, a live questions answered in Patreon. And that's, that's for the $10 tier 10 people. bucks a month. Yeah. yeah. Quite a few people have been changing over. Yeah. So that's, thank you. That's thank you, guys. Awesome. I really appreciate it. Again, explanation on that is it costs us more money to do that. It costs us time, but the, we have to pay for a subscription service that allows that to happen through Patreon. And I saw you sending out merch for the guys in the $20 yeah, tier. Yeah, merch is coming out. The yeah. merch has been shipped. So hopefully you guys... Hey, the- if you want... Um, I know it's too late for some of you now, but if you want us to sign those T-shirts as well... <laughs> 
pets? Ooh, well, they might. Anything. Somebody asked me the other How day. Outrageous. They said, they said would out, you a pet sign? You check yourself, sir. Who, who, different, who, I, it was asked. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't just. Surely it was asked it. in jest. No, it wasn't. Oh, I believe. I don't believe it. They said, "Would you sign our t-shirt?" And I said, <laughs> "Yeah, happy to if you want it." Yeah, you could buy a microphone. Start signing signing <laughs> things as well. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Um, I, put, I put the gloss on it and you just come with the fucking sandpaper. <laughs> I just keep it real, bro. <laughs> and if you want to get in contact, like Glenn already said, we have an email now, info at thecanineparadigm.com. And you can do it on Facebook. We have The Canine Paradigm there. I think that's it. That's it. Catch on. <laughs>